ask a question to start off this morning of all the believers in Jesus Christ in the room, all the, all the Christians. Why do we sometimes bury our heads in the sand? Is it fear? Is it to protect ourselves and our children? Is it because we believe there is nothing we can do or say? I want to follow that up with another question. Is ignoring the realities around us what the Father would, would have us do? I believe the answer is no. I believe he would have us be like the men of Issachar, mentioned in 1 Chronicles 12.32. That verse speaks of the men of the tribe of Issachar who, quote, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I believe today in 2023, the Father would, would have men and women of Christ who understand the times and know what the church should do. You say Chronicles is Old Testament. Let me give you a New Testament verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Paul says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. I always like to point out there's a big difference between woke and biblically awake. He says, let us be awake, but he's not talking about literal sleep and, and being awake. He's talking about being aware of, of what is going on. I believe believers should face reality and look deeper. Look deeper to the spiritual battle beneath so we remember how to fight. We, we fight with, with prayer and spiritual armor on and love and the truth of God's word and the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. We should face reality and look deeper. We should face reality and, and also look higher to the Father above it all. Last night as I was preparing to go to sleep, I, I read some words of Job 42.2. He looked up at, at God and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Are we those who look both deeper and higher at the realities around us? I hope so. I, I think about it and I, I think about this, the, the reality around us is both darker and more glorious than many of us have dared ever imagine. The best fiction, if you're a reader, reminds us of this, right? The Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia, Pilgrim's Progress. 
Today, Jesus reminds us of this. We need to face reality. Jesus was not one to bury his head in the sand as he looked at the road ahead of him. And he would not allow his followers to have their heads buried in the sand either. For a little context, remember back in chapter 16, Peter's confession, right? 16:16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What happened right after that? Jesus warned them of his own coming suffering, death, and resurrection. Then we move from Peter's confession to his confusion, right? Never, Lord. Never, Lord. Jesus rebuked him and went on to remind them of their own path of suffering, that the disciple of Jesus Christ must take up his or her cross and, and follow him. Why? To prepare them. To prepare them. He would not allow them to keep their heads buried in the sand. Only after that did, did he mention to them his future coming in glory. Matthew 16, 27, he told them the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Anybody looking forward to that? Surely this would leave questions still in their minds, right? How can he be the king of glory if, if the king and his followers are going to walk this path of suffering first? Because in that context, he went on to say something very intriguing in Matthew 16, 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, will not die, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, whose kingdom is it according to Matthew here? It's Jesus' kingdom, right? I want to show you something interesting. You look over at Mark, it says, until they see the kingdom of God after it, it has come with power. So is it Jesus' kingdom or is it God's kingdom? Yes. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is God. Now, he said, some of you won't taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you're paying attention, like, wait, I got some questions here, because as far as I know, all those guys are dead now, right? And as far as I know also, Christ has not returned in glory. So what would they see of his coming kingdom? I believe what he's talking about was a lot of what we read in the book of Acts. The, the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and, and the gospel sweeping across the known world to Rome, it caused such a stir as the kingdom of God crashed in power upon this world. You remember Acts 17, when Paul showed up in Thessalonica, what, what, what the people said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So I believe that's part of what they, they saw but I also believe it refers to what we're about to read in Matthew 17. Do you know the chapter divisions were added centuries after the Bible was finished? You say, why did we go back to 1628 and now we're in 17? Because chapter division wasn't there in the original. I, I believe it's connected. Three of his guys were about to get a deeper glimpse into who 
King Jesus is. And I believe at least part of what was on the heart of the Lord was to prepare them for the dark days ahead. We've seen Peter's confession and his confusion. Today we'll see God's confirmation that Jesus is indeed the king he claimed to be. And as we go along, forgive me, you parents will get this. The rest of, this, rest of you will say, what are you talking about? How many of you remember the, the show Blue's Clues? All right. There's always a mystery to solve in the, in the show. And throughout the, the show, the blue dog, Blue, would collect clues, right? And at the end, they'd put all the clues together and pull out their notebook and solve the mystery. They had three clues. We're going to have eight. We're going to collect eight clues along the way that I believe would have spoken strongly to the Jewish hearts of Peter, James, and John. And then we're going to come back at the end and, and unpack why. But we're going to begin with a mountaintop expedition. How many of you love hiking mountains? We live in a beautiful state to do that. That's the first thing that captured our, our hearts when we, when we drove across country and started coming out west from Ohio. Look at the mountains. We would stop and just, just wonder. Love hiking the mountains. We don't know what mountain this was. Many think it was Mount Hermon, 9,400 feet tall, often snow-capped, close to Caesarea Philippi where Peter made his confession, but honestly, we're not sure. But I want you to look with me to chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 1. Because after six days, that's the first clue I want us to put in our notebooks. You say, why? We'll come back to that. Let me just say for now, time notes like that are very rare in the Gospels. Often it's left kind of wondering how much time was between things. This is very specific after six days. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Here's the second clue I want you to put in your notebook. Jesus took three guys with him up the mountain. Verse 2. He was transfigured before them. Transfigured. You say, what does that mean? The Greek word is where we get our word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. It's a change that, that comes from the inside. Think about a, a caterpillar in its cocoon, metamorphosizing in its appearance to that butterfly, right? What happened? His face shone like the sun. This is the third clue I want you to put in your notebook, his face shining. And just look at that description, face shone like the sun. Don't go out there and look at the sun when you leave, but have you ever accidentally, when you're driving, looked right at the blaring, blazing sun? That's what Jesus' face was like in this moment. Luke says the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothes became white as light. His face and his clothes shining. Mark adds, as no one on earth could bleach them. I don't know if he did the laundry in his house. <laughs> Some of us get proud about how, how white we get those uh, undies and t-shirts with that Clorox, right? What's this saying? Clorox had nothing on Christ. This whiteness, no, no one can bleach anything that white. 
I like what Charles Erdman said here. It, it is as if the monarch had been walking in disguise only occasionally beneath his humble garment has been revealed a glimpse of the purple and gold. They got a, a unique glimpse at, at the king on this mountain. Next, I want to talk about a strange visitation. Verse 3 says, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Luke says they appeared in glory. Matthew says that Jesus was, was talking with them. They were, they were talking with him. You say, what about? I'm thankful for Luke. He tells us what they were talking about there. Luke 8.31 says they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word departure is the same word from which we get exodus. You ever thought of Christ's death and resurrection as an exodus? He, he would lead the way out of slavery into freedom and new life. Now, I think about these guys talking about departures. Like these are two guys who had some pretty interesting departures of their own, right? In, in the Old Testament, you remember Moses? He, he couldn't go into the promised land because of his disobedience. He died. And you remember who buried him? God buried him. I've done a lot of funerals as a pastor. Usually there's a team of guys there waiting on the side with shovels ready to bury somebody. I've never, never been to one where God buried the person. God buried Moses. That's an interesting departure. What about Elijah? He didn't even die. Right? He, he went out in a, a chariot of, of fire. Luke tells us here, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Now those of us who know the Gospels, isn't, we know this isn't the last time that's going to happen. <laughs> when these three are, are alone with Jesus. Garden of Gethsemane, right? Luke goes on in Luke 9.32, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Can you imagine? They're, they're kind of there, either sleeping or almost asleep, and they start waking up and rubbing their eyes. Whoa. I want to move on from here to Peter's proposed construction. There's four. As and in Matthew, but Luke tells us, Luke 8.33, that as the men were parting from him, that's important. As Moses and Elijah were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why is that as the men were parting from him important? We, we get maybe a glimpse into Peter's motive here. He saw Elijah and Moses leaving and said, no, 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 no. Don't leave, guys. This is awesome. Let's keep it going. And, and understand that. You've got to understand how venerated these two men were in, in, in Jewish culture and even to this day. Don't, don't leave Moses and Elijah. And Dave is often asked the question, how did Peter know who they were? It's a really good question. Like, he said, did they have name tags on? 
Like I, re I read one commentator that said maybe Moses showed up with his, with his tablets and Elijah rode in on his chariot. <laughs> maybe it was revealed to them by God. We don't know. But Peter wants to build structures for him to stay in. And, and Mark explains why. Mark 9, 6, he says, For Peter did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter probably told Mark that himself. I, I didn't even know what I was saying. I was, I was scared out of my wits. Luke says, not knowing what he said. Have you ever been there? You said something like, did I? You didn't really think that one through. <laughs> Whatever the case, I believe at least some of what was in Peter's heart is he wanted to keep this precious moment going. Can you blame him? Next, I want to talk about the Father's interruption and confirmation. Verse 5 says, Peter was still speaking. Now, this verse made me laugh. I was talking with Carolyn about this. I don't know how many times Peter interrupted Jesus in their ministry. Here, the Father's about to interrupt Peter. Because <laughs> he was still speaking. When behold, a, a bright cloud overshadowed. Luke 9, 34 says they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Evidently, it covered all of them. And we're getting to clues five and six here. The cloud and the voice of God. A, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Luke has my chosen one. This is my beloved son, my chosen one, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's clue seven, listen to him. And what's going on here? I, I know Peter wanted to stay there. Who, who wouldn't? But there's a road ahead of Jesus and his disciples to the cross, right? To, to, to resurrection and glory. Listen to him. Follow him. Verse six says, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, Mark says, suddenly looking around, they saw no one but Jesus only. Luke says, When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. There's the eighth clue. Jesus was left alone. Moses and Elijah were gone. Now we come to the end of the Blues Clues episode for you parents, okay? We're going to go back through our eight clues and talk about how they would have confirmed that something very special and unique was going on in the minds of these three Jewish disciples. First, that after six days, right? If they knew their scriptures, especially Exodus, they, they would recall Exodus 24, 16. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Six days, and then God spoke. Okay, what about three guys? They would have thought about Exodus 24.1. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Three, right? And 70 of the elders of Israel, but three of them are named face shining. Oh, their minds are going back to that mountain again. 34, 29 of Exodus, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, 
with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because they had been talking with God, a shining face with one key difference. Moses reflected that light of God as the moon reflects the sun. In Christ's case, there was no reflection. It came from within. What about Moses and Elijah themselves? They're, they're clue number four. Who are they in, in Jewish history? The, the lawgiver, right? Moses and Elijah, the preeminent prophet. For how many of us, you think of Jewish prophets, he's the first one that comes to mind, the lawgiver and the, the preeminent prophet. What about the cloud and the voice of God? Back to Exodus 34. Verse 4, he, he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and, and stood with him there and proclaimed, spoke the name of the Lord. Number seven, what about the listen to him? What would that say to these three Jewish men? They would likely think back to something Moses said in Deuteronomy 18. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. They would have said, this is the one that Moses told us to listen to. And lastly, as Dave indicated his reading, the fact that Jesus was left alone, that Moses and Elijah left is huge, huge. Peter wanted them to stay, but they left. Why is this important? Their jobs were complete. The law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus Christ who fulfilled them. What do you say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17? Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Think about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. Or think of Hebrews 3, 5. As wonderful as Moses was and as key as he was. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You see how the clues would have fit together for them to confirm he is the Christ. Even though he's talking about this road of suffering, he's the one. And it all connected to the road ahead, the road to the cross. Look at verse 9. We're going to stop at this verse for this week. As they were coming down the mountain. They couldn't stay there as much as Peter wanted to. The, the way of the cross was down that mountain. As we wrap up today, I think about how strengthening this confirmation must have been. For Jesus himself and the disciples. You say, Jesus, he, he's fully God, right? How could he be strengthened? because he's also fully man. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke 18 says, Jesus strengthened by an angel. 
If he can be strengthened by an angel, certainly he could be strengthened by his own father. I think this may have strengthened him in a couple ways. The first one, I was thinking about his face shining. And if anyone knew the scriptures, it was Christ, right? The face shining reminded me of Psalm 37. I can't read it all, but I want you to listen to just a little selection. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. Verse 6. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Jump down to verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Did Jesus ponder that as his face shined out in vindication to his guise of who he was? The father's voice itself and what he said. It reminds us of his baptism, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was right before his temptation with Satan. This strengthening, confirming word. This is right after Peter's temptation here, right? Think about how much those words must have meant to him. This is my beloved son, my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. As, as the whole world of unbelief was about to crash in on him, I wonder, did he repeat those words over and over and over on his road to the cross. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I believe this moment strengthened him for the road ahead. Think about how important it was to Peter, James, and John. I wonder, did, did James think back on this moment, what he saw and heard on this mountain as his executioner came to his cell in Acts 12 to take his life? He is who he said he was. I saw it. I saw it. Did, did John ponder this as he was exiled alone to the island of Patmos? He is who he said he was. I, I, I saw it. I know Peter clung to this as he neared his own road to a cross because he wrote about it. Second Peter 1, verse 16, he says, We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he saying? He said, I, I saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice. We, we saw it. We heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. As we come to a close here, I want to make this very personal for us today. All this happened when they went up on a mountaintop alone. Luke tells us Jesus went up there to pray. 
to pray, to commune with his Father. And I think about that. I think about how it's often when we're alone with God that he shows us who he is to give us strength for the road ahead. Think of what Warren Wearsby said regarding the importance of these moments alone with God. He said, silence is a rare commodity today, even in church worship services. People can't tolerate silence, but unless we learn to wait silently before God, we will never experience his peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's important that the believer gets alone with God because it's often in those moments he shows or reminds us who he is to give you strength for the road ahead. This happened to me last night. As I, as I hopped in my bed and was preparing to go to sleep, I, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. You ever been there? Right when you hop in bed and you start thinking. I turned to Job 38. Verse 31, God asks Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can, can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? And I had to say with Job, nope. <laughs> but I know you can. I know you do. Remember that when you look at those stars. And I went to sleep. I want to ask you a question. Do you need to know something of God? Need to be reminded of something of God today for the road you've got ahead of you? I would really encourage you to set aside half an hour today. Don't, don't wait. Tell them you need them. Maybe even read Psalm 37. The whole psalm follows the themes I mentioned earlier. And ask him to reveal himself to you again and give you strength. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this pivotal moment this glorious moment on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And I thank you for leading men to write this down so, so we can look in through the scriptures. I pray for anyone in this room who, who's wrestling with their own questions, maybe feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders, that they would take you up on your invitation today to get alone, to, to get silent with their Bible, to open it up, whether it's Psalm 37 or somewhere else, and cry out to you, Lord, I need you to remind me of who you are. Maybe it's his omnipotence. Maybe it's his omniscience. Maybe it's his omnipresence, his, his grace, his mercy, his righteousness, his holiness you need a reminder of his love. I don't know. But Lord, meet them where they're at and give them strength for the road that lies ahead of them this week and on into the future. Even as we take our offering this morning, I pray that you would help us use it faithfully to proclaim this Christ. 
that we read of today, the way, the truth, and the life, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In his name we pray, amen.